And now, it's time for the Cannabis Reporter Radio Show with Snowden Bishop. Listen in as Snowden interviews cannabis industry pioneers, marijuana experts, policymakers, medical practitioners, patients, and other amazing individuals with compelling stories to share. It all happens right now. Here's the Cannabis Reporter, Snowden Bishop. Hi, and welcome back to another live edition of the Cannabis Reporter Radio Show. I'm your host, Snowden Bishop. Here we are, nearly two weeks after the political roller coaster came to a screeching halt. It seems the highs and lows were extreme to the point of exhaustion. Whether the outcome took your breath away or knocked the wind out of you, chances are it wasn't what you expected. Now that the reality is beginning to sink in, what happens next is anyone's guess. If this election taught us anything, it's that nothing is predictable anymore. While no one could have predicted the outcome of the presidential race, pollsters were pretty close when they predicted big wins for marijuana. Arkansas, Florida, Montana, and North Dakota will join 24 other states to legalize medical marijuana, and California, Maine, Massachusetts, and Nevada will join Alaska, Colorado, Oregon, Washington State, and the District of Columbia in legalizing adult use. The wild card here was Arizona, which surprisingly lost by a narrow margin. Nonetheless, the decisive wins this year have potential to tip the scales toward national reform. The Justice Department de-emphasized enforcement in states where it's legal, and the DEA has made frequent rumblings about rescheduling marijuana to allow for medical use on the federal level. Even President-elect Trump is on record for stating that legalization would be the best way to win the war on drugs. Taking all of that into consideration, along with recent polls suggesting that a whopping 89% of the population favored legalization of some sort, it would be safe to predict that nationwide reform is around the corner, right? Well, not so fast. Remember, nothing is predictable anymore. In fact, even in legal states, the future of marijuana is on shaky ground. Why, you might ask? Well... The inbound administration is anything but friendly toward marijuana. Even the president-elect has dramatically changed his position. The next attorney general is likely to be Alabama Senator Jeff Sessions, whose hostile rhetoric about marijuana could have come from the Reefer Madness playbook. Earlier this year, he said that good people don't smoke marijuana. He also claims it is in fact a very real danger and making it socially acceptable increases demand and results in people being addicted and being impacted adversely. He once said that members of the KKK were okay until he learned that they smoked marijuana. This will be the top legal official in America making decisions about cannabis if he's confirmed by Congress. And that is actually pretty likely, given the balance of power. So, the question is, where do we go from here? And that is the topic of today's show. My guest I'm very excited to introduce is a former Cottonwood City Councilman, Jesse Dowling, who's been a huge advocate of marijuana reform since his wife was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. He is also working in IT, information technology, for an engineering firm, and he's looking forward to a leading revision of city ordinances that, that limit the square footage for medical marijuana cultivation and allowing local cultivators to expand and create more employment opportunities. And I'm so happy that you're here. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. So where do we go from here? I mean, you know, if we go back to Arizona, we have our existing medical marijuana law. 
And it was a big disappointment for the advocates because the medical marijuana law is a bit limiting. So what are your thoughts about this? Well, yeah, um, I, I really think that it, locally, yes, it is kind of a, a, a kick in the gut. Um, and a lot of that, I mean, even some of the, the polling leading up to that, as with the national race, sort of indicated we were in a, a good situation. Um, but obviously, as we see now, that wasn't quite the case. But, uh, you know, so it's it, it's going to be tough. I almost want to get out my magic eight ball every once in a while and, and, and look for, you know, uh, a, a solid answer. Um, and it is tricky because a lot of people that I talk to, you know, in some cases, they they defaulted to a no vote or they were swayed that way because of the medical program. And they don't realize that, that you know, that nothing is a for sure anymore. And you, we've actually got the medical program in some cases is under appeal right now with Mr. Montgomery, uh, Maricopa County attorney. So uh, it's it's definitely a little daunting right now to figure it out. Then you've got the national scene tying in with that. So it, uh, you know it's hard to actually really concisely boil that down to where it's going to be. It's, I think most, mostly we're just going to be thankful that or, or hope that the, the rest of the States that did go positively for it will establish sort of a tipping point and keep us from falling off that edge. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's, you know, I've always said that, that even if it passed, it was just the beginning. Um, that there's still going to be so much education that needs to be done. And so now we've really got to get back on that schedule and just keep putting it in Trying to, you know, trying to combat that reefer madness, trying to work with that, trying to, um, as they say, normalize it a little bit to let people realize that, you know, I actually just wrote a, a letter to the editor. Where I said, you know, they, the opposition just spent $6 million to sweep everything back under the rug because it didn't go away. Um, the, the, the chairman of the campaign, the 205 campaign, JP Holyoke said, you know, this isn't yes marijuana, no marijuana. It's already here. It's what do we do? And mm-hmm. so they just spent an extra $6 million. They could have, uh, you know, how many people could they have gotten off opiates with that? How many kids could they have taught about deadly drugs? How many, you know, what could they have done with that besides just felonize about a half a million of their fellow Arizona citizens? Right. Well, <laughs> it was definitely the money came from special interests, as we know. It's a proven fact. Um, in fact, uh, the maker of fentanyl here yes. in Chandler actually dumped in a boatload of money the alcohol industry, the private prison industry, and, I mean, I, the list goes on and on, right? Yes, it's the classic litany of of people trying to secure their bottom line, basically. Yeah, well, you were you were sort of in the hotbed of activity when it came to the anti-marijuana um, movement. Yes. And uh, Yavapai County uh, uh, prosecutor Sheila Polk was sort of leading that charge, how was that for you being an advocate in that environment politically? Um, well, it was definitely an eye opener. That was, you know, and that really more so than my wife, you know, just getting MS or when she was diagnosed with it. Honestly, there was a whole period there where I was sort of off the radar on, on cannabis and it really didn't kick in until I got on the city council and started to realize the attacks that were coming. Um, the first thing they did is as a preventative measure, they started shopping around an initiative um, early, I want to say in about 2012. As soon as Colorado went, basically, they started getting on it. So that was really the first run-in I had with them as they brought this initiative to us at the council. And they said, hey, you know, we want to get – they took it to all the city councils, all the school boards, the boards of supervisors, basically anybody that meets in a group in Yavapai County. They said, hey, vote against the legalization. And it wasn't a binding resolution at all. 
But um, they came in, and I think they expected about a five-minute slam-dunk vote in our council room, and there was a little bit of backplay because I said, hey, they actually got that on there without me knowing about it, and I had no notice. I had nobody there that I could, you know, it's really difficult because Yavapai is the reddest of the red counties right. in Arizona. Um, but ironically, the, our portion of Yavapai County, the eastern side of it, has the highest per capita medical marijuana cardholder rate as well. <laughs> Plus, they're also off the charts on uh, uh, alcohol abuse and issues with that. But um, I guess that's a side effect of uh, living in a re- repressed red area. But um, so, you know, I kept them there for about an hour and a half uh, almost, and, and that was really a tough thing. And it actually ended up passing because one person just abstained. He was uh-huh. afraid to vote yes. He didn't want to vote. No. You know, he was uh, he just waffled and sat on the fence, and it passed because he abstained, and that really sort of kicked it off. Um, right. That really made me say, "Wait a second, we've got to stop this," and that led to a few different things. But uh, the culmination of which was that you spoke about with the the ordinance work, um, and it was a fun time there a little bit. It, it was a real circuitous route. I actually worked in a building that had a, a warehouse in it, which became leased. To somebody who wanted to cultivate and i was you know i just know i came into work one morning and it smelled really green <laughs> and uh, but i didn't have any real uh contacts with them so it was a real tricky situation because i i was advocating for these people in a building that i worked in so there was a lot of people accusing me of you know conflicts of interest but really there was none the only the only outcome of that going was that i lost my office because we had to relocate because they could expand but um yeah so i mean that's where I really started. I met some of the guys who had worked on 205. I started to learn more about it, and that's when it really kicked in. And, you know, that's when I just really started to want to push back. I, around that time, I actually talked my dad into getting his card um, because, you know, I just didn't want him to go to prison for being a nice guy. Right. <laughs> so, you know, it was, I almost say it was more of a weight off my shoulders than it was off his. But um, And so that really sort of also, you know, my backstory on coloring my position is that I was born and raised in Jerome, Arizona, which is historically a rather green area. Um, you know, when you go to the, 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 they have a yearly meeting, which is the cities and towns conference where all the cities and towns go to. And when Jerome brings out their big flag, it's a bright green flag. Right. Um, there was actually has a history. There was a, a great book written about Jerome called sweet home Jerome, where there's an entire chapter about the entire underground marijuana economy that took place in that town. Uh, it kept the town afloat through the lean times um, and averaged around two or three million dollars a year of underground economy income. Mm. So really, you know, that is, you know, so I grew up with it and it was never really um, a hot plate for me or a foreign issue. And I say hot plate. Um, I, my wife is, loves this one. I've come up with a metaphor for how that we deal with, with cannabis um, and how prohibitionists look at it. And so, I start off with this where if you go to your favorite Mexican restaurant, let's say, and you order up your plate of enchiladas, the lady, you know, your waitress will bring it out. She usually has a hot pad on. She plates it on the table and says, hot plate. And <laughs> and uh, invariably, I would say 95% of the people reach out and touch that plate just to see how hot it hot really is. It really is. is. <laughs> or, you know, and, so, and so I think that really is for me a metaphor because we'll reach out and they'll touch it. And they'll go, oh, it's not that hot. It didn't burn me. It wasn't the end of the world. I think that's a metaphor for how they're dealing with kids and for how uh, groups like Matt Force and the Prohibitionists, they're just telling kids it's evil and it's going to ruin you and it's it's a hot plate. And then when the kid gets to the age of experimentation and they figure out the plate is just kind of lukewarm, 
Uh-huh. Then they start to question everything they've been told. So I, you know, I've sat at tables with Sheila Polk for a couple of hours at a time with her director of Matt Force. Our city manager was also on the board of Matt Force. Um, I've sat down with them at a conference table, just, you know, as far apart as we are, trying to, to look for some common ground, to say that we agree that we don't want kids to use cannabis, but I just think that we shouldn't felonize a large, large number of people for something that's, you know, demonstrably safer than other options. Right. And, uh, well, the, the, the state of Colorado, um, legislators from Colorado actually sent a letter to the opponents yes. saying, listen, what you're saying out here about Colorado and about the impact that legalization has had in Colorado is completely false. Right. I mean, when you're sitting that far away from Sheila Polk <laughs> and you call her on those mis statements that she's making frequently. I mean, right. does she even acknowledge any fact there or is she just holding her ground? Uh, and if so, what what's the political motivation for that? Um, no acknowledgement of that. Uh, as I've told a couple of people, I really thought that was like a bright light of hope at the end of uh, at the end of the tunnel, so to speak. Yeah. But, um, you know, the way I looked at it is 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 the prohibitionist ARDP, the Arizona's for Responsible Drug Policy, uh, she, Polk and, and Montgomery have basically been throwing Colorado under the bus for since 2012. And instead of actually saying, okay, we'll be reasonable, they just backed the bus up, looked down, said sorry, and drove right back over them with the bus and ignored it. I mean, they, they basically sent a response letter that, that said, well, you're wrong, we're right, you're wrong, um, and just continued to play the commercial. Is, there is, is no acceptance there. Is the money Is the money that's being put into these campaigns really benefiting them to continue proliferating these lies? You know, honestly, um, and I had an, an interesting Twitter exchange with uh, Mr. Mon- with Bill Montgomery, and uh, I basically called him out. I don't honestly don't think that the money is the only reason or the overarching reason. I think they honestly think that it is in their – they think that it is their job to save everybody else. Um, honestly, I, I actually uh, pointed out to Mr. Montgomery that he sounded like he had a bit of a God complex, and he said yes. I mean, he basically confirmed that. And uh, and so, you know, uh, it's admirable that they want to try and help people, but it's difficult when they don't realize the irony that the only reason the people need help. Yeah, I was just going to say, isn't is, it ironic? Because, quite frankly, cannabis, as we have seen in anecdotal and clinical evidence, is saving lives. Yes, it is. And, and, and the alternative, the toxic pharmaceuticals that are flooded in the market right now, are killing people. So if they really want to help people, wouldn't they want to get them into an alternative that has no side effect as opposed to, you know, allowing the pharmaceuticals to continue killing people? Yeah, that, that is the ultimate irony. And let's just say it. Uh, there's several great resources out there. Uh, Massachusetts, as a matter of fact, has a program currently running with about a 70, I want to say a 75% success rate at getting people off of opiates, heroin, opiates, you know, at all. And, you know, so I see that and I've, I've, and it's actually on the drugfree.org website. So I mean, here we've got a drug free site posting that cannabis is helping people get off of dangerous, deadly opiates. And it's, you know, and at the same s- time, they're, Completely staunchly opposed yes. to and any kind of regulation. Yeah. So, and, and they, you know, they Doug Ducey is doing these uh, photo ops at Walgreens to try, you know, talking about combating pharmaceuticals, and the whole time, you know, me and other people are tweeting these these studies at them and these examples of how this is the answer they're looking for. Because if you, you know, states that have uh, legal medical and or adult use 
have 25% fewer deaths by opiate. And if you look at a program like Massachusetts, where they've got a 75% success rate at getting people off of opiates, well, 75 and 25, that darn near is 100. Right. And, and now, th- that's not exactly right, but that's a lot closer than we'd be if we're just going to ignore that there's an option there to pursue. Yeah. And spend $6 million in order to sweep that option back under the rug. So it's really, you know, they're, they're, uh, it really just does run counter to any common sense. Yeah. And I, I can only hope that, um, you know, and that, uh, that enough, that this campaign, if nothing else, I think started a conversation. It got it on, you know, it, it had people talking about it across dinner tables. It had, um, it let people know that the fastest growing segment of people using or getting medical marijuana cards in Arizona is 55 plus, you know, and, and it was interesting. I actually did a debate with Sheila Polk back in June um, over in Sedona, and uh, I did get to point out that they took a nice big uh, donation from an alcohol distributor, and they didn't like that very much. <laughs> but I also pointed out that um, it, it's just important that we have these conversations and that we realize that the people are not evil, you know, that yeah. it's just everyday regular folk that are good, hardworking, taxpaying people that, you know, there's people who smoke cannabis who pay Sheila Polk's salary. Right. You know, she's she's making money and they're, you know, they're paying her against their best interest, basically. And it's difficult because right now she's in basically an unopposed situation. Yeah. Um, so in that case, they don't really need a whole lot of money because nobody's willing to run against them because they're in such a safe spot. Although it was really refreshing to see the opposition to, to Bill Montgomery down here this year, um, you know, and all of a sudden he was very concerned about dark money once that started. When uh, I think it was Diego Rodriguez, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so it was just interesting yeah, he's to see an him. advocate. Yes, he's yeah. an advocate, and it was really refreshing to see that. Um, you know, there were a couple bright spots in Arizona. We had a couple. Um, we actually had a Democrat um, who was running against Sylvia Allen, I think, actually took Mar- uh, took Yavapai County mm-hmm. in that specific race, um, which is almost unheard of. But, you know, so it, there are some bright spots out there. But really it's just getting that conversation going across the table. Oh, that's what I was going to get back to. The, the debate Yeah, in the Sedona. debate with Sheila Polk. Um, I look back to their campaign in 203, um, their anti-203 campaign, and I found her old campaign material from, through different websites, and she specifically pointed out the, the desperate and desolate situation in California. Like, you know, the, you know there's, there's uh, drug wars on every corner, cartels, there was just going to be death and destruction. And I said, you know, I just want to remind you all that this is what we were told in two, you know, for Prop 203. None of that has actually happened. And right. if anything, at the same time, we've got Bill Montgomery citing that, the, the the FBI statistics that he's at the lowest crime rate ever and everything is wonderful and at the same time they're trying to tell us that the world's going to end if we approve this right so it's just kind of, you know there's just and that so was many, just medical marijuana that was back just then. medical yes yeah and so the other their other contention was that only 18 to 30 year old well bodied men would be getting it so that getting medical cards so they could abuse the situation and they said back then it was 90 percent you know people who didn't need the medical cards. And now it's actually not. I mean, the the majority of medical card holders are 41 plus years old. Um, so that 18 to 30 thing, you know, there's still an issue there to a point. But I really think that it's the scale, like we said, is tipping. Mm-hmm. You know, more people are getting to that. There's so many people that are getting off all their meds or a portion of their meds for that. That, you know, it, I can see that being threatening to a pharmaceutical, certainly. Oh yeah. But, you know. Well, uh, something that is um, pretty interesting, I have an article that we're about to publish that talks about the irony of the the largest segment of our population is still the baby boomer generation. And as the baby boomer generation ages, they are also the largest consumer of pharmaceuticals. And the irony of that is that 
cannabis is the one thing that could actually prevent them from having to have any of those pharmaceuticals and can replace most of them without the side effects. And I, I've talked about this before. I had this issue with my father who had been um, through a, a four-week obtunded state coma, which is it's a twilight form of coma when he came out, had to learn to you know walk, talk, and, and do just about everything again. And in his recovery, they were medicating him with Haldol, which is basically a um, chemical lobotomy, and um, Ativan, which is a benzodiazepine sedative, so that he wouldn't have any tremors or or become agitated. And, I, you know, as I sat there watching him, I could see that the medicine was killing him. And before long, I, I took a look at it and went, wait a minute. You know, they, they came back to me and said, your father has two weeks to live. And I said, that's impossible. He was he was flying his own airplane two months ago. What is give, what gives? So um, when that happened, they suggested I call hospice. And I just said, uh, I don't think so. I put him into an acute care facility and I asked them to remove all of the medications. And he started coming out of it. And then I thought, huh, I, I got some CBD, which is, you know, you could buy hemp uh, seeds at Trader Joe's. So there was really no harm in doing it. But I, I couldn't divulge that to the nurf- nursing staff. But I started giving him CBD drops. And within weeks, he was talking, he was standing, he was working with physical and speech and occupational therapists. And when I look at that and and think about the population that most objects to legalization, they, as it turns out, they're the segment of the population that could most benefit. Right, exactly. And that's, again, ultimate ironies, you know, and they're, they really were, um, they were a segment that there is a slice of them that is open to it, but there is a large portion of them that have that reefer madness hang on, you know, that, uh-huh. that they picked up. They were, you know, they are a remnant of that. And so, you know, a lot of that, just education, education, well, education. Well, and the, the rhetoric coming out of Washington, too. Yeah. It, it, Like I said, it could come straight out of the reefer madness playbook. And it's been proven time and again that everything that was stated in Reefer Matt, it was, it was the most brilliant propaganda campaign of, you know, in the history of the United States. It, it really was. And look at how it has hung on for generations. So, but okay, so now this gets back to where do we go from here? How do we convince people that, um, the, the, the truths that are supposedly coming from the opponents like Sheila Polk and Bill Montgomery um, really are not true at all. I mean, here's an example. One of the debates that I watched with Sheila Polk, she she said, well, um, the reason that it was okay to end alcohol prohibition and it's not okay to end marijuana prohibition is because alcohol was legal before it was prohibited. And I didn't really hear anybody stand up and say, hey, wait a minute. Marijuana was the number one medicine for thousands of years before 1937. Yes. Okay. This will go down as one of my greatest regrets in life ever. Um, She said the exact same thing at the debate I had with her. I was formulating coming up with this, you know, with the response. I was trying to remember the who gave the money and where it came from. That slipped by me, and I'm. I, it's unconscionable that I let it slip by me. But yeah, exactly, exact same line. I mean, they're they're very rehearsed. They use the same things over and over. 
I really wish I would have just like thrown the mic on the floor, jumped up and down, screaming like a two-year-old, and said, "No, it's not. No, it's not. No, it's not. No, it's not. That's not true." Right. Um, yeah, and it's it's demonstrably not true. Um, I it, it's one of those things. That how do you? It, it's really difficult. How do you convince somebody who is uh, somebody who thinks they know everything? cannot know anything new. So how do you convince them of that? At a certain point, you just have to cut your losses with those people and say they're, they are just not going to come around to it, I guess. But they come from positions of authority. Right. And they're constantly published in, in the AZ Republic. Yes. They're constantly given a voice because of their position in, you know, I mean, they have respectable positions. Yep. People look at them and say, well, they're educated. They're in law enforcement or, or they're lawmakers. And they're, you know, that what they say must be the truth. Yeah, that's that's very unfortunate that they're that they're abusing that position of power in that way. I know that there's actually a, a petition circulating online right now to try and get um, to attempt to have, asking Sheila Polk to resign pointing out that the the actions that she took by ignoring the letter from Colorado are actually possible uh, reasons for disbarment yeah. according to the you know the, the the requirements for the bar that you be honest and and how you conduct yourself I think I saw something yes. about this so, I mean, around um, where do we go from now I think right now where we need to go is we need to find advocates to run we need to have people who run 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 and that's going to be not fun not easy but that's the only way we're ever really going to make any progress is to to actually put people up against these people and offer counterpoints um and, and it's it's an uphill battle um and i admit that completely and fully um i really regretted you know kind of stepping down um but i think hopefully in a way i almost felt that it liberated me a little bit more to where i could do more letters to the editor and not feel like i was um, going to be a that i wasn't going to be a problem that wasn't going to be a problem for the city i represented um, and it's been difficult. I'll tell you right now, it hasn't been easy. You know, um, me and my wife have been accused of, um, we had somebody write us something the other day on Facebook and said, why don't you and your wife go roll a fatty, get some popcorn and sit on your, go sit on your couch while the city blows up or something. Um, and I had to kind of say, well, no, we, we don't roll fatties. We take a couple seat drops, you know, we take an oral, you know, my wife takes this oral medication and it's, you know, we're, it's trying to dispel this well, stereotypical rumor. Well, and it's for rumor. a good reason. Yes, it's exactly. not like, you know, you're just sitting around yeah. getting stoned all day. So and I think that we just have a lot of that. That stereotype still exists. It's It's got to be overcome. So on top of people running to actually get to those positions of power, I think that a lot of the onus is going to be on the cannabis community. Have conversations like we're having to get involved in their communities. Um, I know that when the cultivators that I had spoken about that I worked with, you know, that uh, we worked with to try and get, their, the ordinance changed, so they, I think now they're employing almost 30 people in this cultivation site up in Cotton, which is a pretty good amount of people. You know, when you got 12,000 population city, 30 is a pretty good amount to actually have in one business. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they, they were donating every year. They're going and they're donating to the senior center. They're doing what they can. They're working with people and, and they're, they're doing community outreach. I think that the, and, and that's what I'm trying to do is actually get people in Yavapai County to come out from under the rocks. You know, to yeah. come out from under the stigma that's been created over them and say, look, people, we've got to get together. We've got to come together. Let's get together once a month. Let's try and do some community action. Let's let's let people who are curious and interested come and talk to us. Let's share information between ourselves. You know, we can't allow ourselves to be basically uh, considered less than, made less than uh, nor the other people that aren't, you know, that aren't castigated for 
a, de- a decision well, they make for by, safer options. By doing that, what they're they're actually doing a disservice to people who really could benefit from cannabis, who are afraid to come forward and even have a conversation with any doctor, even a licensing doctor. Right. You know, to 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 experiment and see if that would work for their conditions, as right. opposed to all these yeah, drugs and, that have side effects. Yep, and, and that's another important thing is that. In that process, people will start to see the counter to the stereotype. Mm-hmm. They'll start to see that, oh, okay, you know, this guy who was on city council, you know, he 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 did well for us. He did good. He wasn't late. He didn't miss a lot of meetings. He wasn't sitting there eating a bag of Cheetos at the at the lectern or anything like that. You know, mm-hmm. that there's something different there, and you know, they'll they'll start to see that that it's nothing to be afraid of, really. Right. I mean, the demonization that took place and made people afraid of it is still going on, as we know. And the it's biggest, a hard thing to overcome. Yeah, it's it's very hard. You know, especially when the federal law backs it up. Yes, and that's you know when they can <clears throat> when they can roll back to the federal law, and a lot of people I, were like, "Oh, I'm all for it," except it's still federally illegal. So, you know, and that's um, that's just going to be a difficult process. Again, it's it, elections matter. Who you vote for yeah. matters. Yeah. So so I wonder how much of the no vote came from. Real advocates who were looking at Prop 205 thinking that it was a little too limiting. You know, I know there was that. It, it was really interesting to see that schism take place. Um, I did, and I did follow it not not from within, but I know lots of people who were in, in, involved with it. A lot of the opposition and a lot of the infighting actually took place on Facebook. So mm-hmm. I'm sure a lot of the the people who actually follow it probably already know some of the story. Um, but I think there was a fair number there. I don't know that it would have been enough to have swayed it significantly, um, but I do think that it may have allowed, it, it might have given the people running, you know, it might have uh, brought, I'm trying to think how I want to phrase this, it might have allowed people to see both sides of that and say, you know, maybe we need to try and, we need to negotiate a little bit more, we need to try and come together more, mm-hmm. because it, it'd be great if we could just do a nice grassroots thing and it was from the ground up and it was perfect, but it's, yeah, I think well, somebody... both sides had had legitimate yes. concerns about the other's yeah. bill. Yeah, yeah and I agree. you know, I'm I I felt that 205 was reasonable enough, mm. and you can always go back later and add provisions or make some changes and see what works and what doesn't work for society. And you know, decriminalization is inevitable right. anyway. So even though there was still that felony component, yeah. eventually the federal law was. Is I well at least now um, I'm not so sure, but I was pretty sure yeah. back then <laughs> that that would take care of itself right. ultimately, and and it also had the best likelihood of actually getting votes from people who were either skeptical or on the fence because right. it had those limitations. Yes, and that was the tricky part. You know, it, since the vote, since the election, um, there's been I think it's 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 invaluable for people who were proponents of 205. They need to seek out the no voters, you know, mm-hmm. and not not in a, a negative, harsh, or 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 um, and not in a bad way. To simply say, hey, what was it that you didn't go for? You know, what weren't you thing? And you know, and and have that post op conversation basically um, to understand a little bit more what they didn't understand to see how much the opposition, you know, what areas the opposition. One on, I guess, yeah, is what well, I would say. Well, and and how much of um, the rhetoric that came out of the opposition that was really convincing, compelling, compelling to right. people who said no, 
um, how much of that was actually the truth. Exactly. And then get to the bottom of the truth. Right. And that's, I mean, you can always, and I have a feeling that it'll happen. They'll, they'll go back and they'll look at what worked and what didn't and put that into the next provision, into the mm-hmm. next initiative. I know that's going to come up. I know the this um, one group is looking for a 2018 and I finally, you know, I, I was like, oh, that'd be great. But then I, I've, I've now been studying this, the issue where there's a reason it usually only comes up on election years because the off election years are low enough of a vote that you don't have to collect so many signatures. And so even if you tried to get it on, even though this last presidential turnout vote wasn't as high as previous, right. it still spiked the number of signatures you're going to need. To, I think the last number they needed was 150,000. And now it's going to be about 230,000, I think, depending on the final outcomes of the totals. So that's, you know, that, that really makes trying to do something in off years difficult. So it mm-hmm. almost lets you, it almost forces you to really take a break, think about it and go through it again. And, you know, my, my saying on that's always been if you have a deal and both sides come away unhappy, then it's a good deal. Um, you know, maybe both sides were not as unhappy as they could have been in this deal. Right. <laughs> but I think that they can both learn from each other. Right? You know, there's got to be some give and take there um, just as in reasonable civil society to try and get that through. <laughs> well, in this climate, who yeah. knows if that's even possible. Yeah, but, right. <laughs> yeah well, I, I just I have a feeling that it would be a good idea for for the sit down. And I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing the outcome of conversation and and how that will i don't know it's because so so there was so much postulating you know between the sides and you know now that the election is over accusations for this side and that side and right you know and they'll of course be interior they'll be you know within each side they'll both have their finger pointing moments at themselves yeah say, well it was his fault or their you know within their own side um it was really interesting to see the dichotomy of the prohibitionists and the other the other far end of the extreme actually coming around almost to where they're meeting in the middle in an odd way mm-hmm. where you know there was one debate where somebody was reading um, a no vote a, a, reading a no argument from the voter pamphlet that was written by the far the other side of the scale that was a a, a strong anti prohibition person put in eight or nine of these vo- eight or nine of these no comments right. in the voter pamphlet and we had prohibitionists reading their comments in defense of their position. So it was just like, you know, again, I hate to say this, the ultimate, it's like, it's like the year of irony, you know, Um, and it's just so difficult to try and work through, but we have to do it. (laughs) Really, there's no choice. So, and I, I think that for people who advocate for marijuana reform, um, whether it's for adult use or for for medical use, I think that now, if you really feel strongly about it, now is the time to get involved. And like you said, you know, have people think about getting out there in public, either running or speaking or just talking to their friends over coffee, especially the people who are opposed. But another thing that that as a democracy we have every right to do is to pick up the phone and call your representatives. Yes. They work for you. They are there for you, and they listen. And when someone takes the time to pick up the phone and make their opinion known, they listen to that. They actually have people answering the phone and saying, this person called on behalf of this, this person said no on that. 
you know, and, and every phone call represents like a thousand people in our population because obviously not everybody's going to call. But I tell you what, if you believe strongly in anything and, and, you know, particularly if you're an advocate and you feel almost, um, petrified about what's going to happen with a sessions, Attorney General ship. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Pick up the phone, call your senators, call your representatives, and say, "I'm afraid of what's going to happen to this miracle substance if he is confirmed." And just about any other appointment that's about to take place, and yeah. any other, you know, there there are things we can do. Yes, the phone lines will be burning up. Yeah, and it's so easy to find out how, and also letters work too. Letters count even more than phone calls, right? Because they take longer to put together, put together and process. Yeah, yeah. There are petitions out there and everything else. So, gosh, well, I think that um, it'll be it'll be interesting to see what happens with the with the um, the oligopoly, if you will, of you know. I mean, it's. It's unfortunate that the medical law is so limited, um, and I think that a lot of people who advocate for medical marijuana but don't advocate for legalization really don't understand um, how debilitating some of those limitations are. Like the children, for example, if you look up an organization called Mom Force AZ, Kathy Inman leads that. She's a, a formal, normal um, I'm very good friends. She, yes. Executive uh, director, yeah, she's she's amazing. And but uh, she, her organization advocates for mothers who have children with debilitating diseases that clinical studies have proven cannabis would either cure or alleviate symptoms of those conditions. Yes. But they're not on our list. They're not on the list of acceptable acceptable medical conditions. So. What can people do to try to expand on that as far as the medical law is concerned? Yeah, so on that point specifically, I know that there was just some some uh, some information on Facebook recently. There is, I think there was a, 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 a certification center down here in, in Phoenix actually that put together an initiative. So what the, I think it was it was to sort of adjust this the medical law. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the real quick rundown I saw on that was I think it was uh, they wanted to increase the they wanted to add about 20 more conditions that would qualify. I think they said something there was something in there about a a one mile rule instead of a 25 mile rule, but they also wanted to increase the number of available dispensaries to around 300. Mm-hmm. So that would probably counteract that one mile rule in some cases. Although I know that the 25 mile rule has just been a huge boondoggle for some people because it was as the crow flies or you know. So I think that that uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see how that turns out. But I think it's, you know, we have to look at maybe incremental things are going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I know that a lot of the, one of the other things that was used as a cudgel against 205 by the opposition was the fact that it was voter protected. And they basically said, once you do this, you can't change anything. You can't go back. I was actually at a, an informational meeting in Sedona where they had a representative, a state representative there. I believe it was Brenda Barton. And they were saying that. And I kind of piped up and said, well, you know, that's not exactly true. If you get a three-quarter vote and the leg, you know, you can get your legislators to actually do their jobs and vote, they can change it. Right. And they even she just laughed. I mean, you know, it was pretty sad to me that we have a legislator laughing at the fact that they can't do their job. 
Yeah. You know, that they can't come together enough for the betterment of their, their, the people they represent. Their constituents. For their constituents to actually do what they're supposed to do. You know, and so it's, it's pretty sad when that's the way that is, but, uh, elections have consequences. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they do. I'll say it again. Yeah. But, but uh, also they were trying to, I think in that same, um, that same amendment that you were talking about, they were also trying to reduce the cost of yes, the certification. From 150 to, I think it was $10. $10. Yes. I mean, they've got a surplus right now. Um, I forget 13, what it is. I think it's 12 to $13 million, in, somewhere. In there. that fund, which yes. is supposed to be used to govern that medical marijuana right. industry. Yes. But, and I found, I found it interesting that it wasn't allocated to, you know, there weren't contingencies for allocating that money elsewhere in the event there was a surplus. And I didn't think that they expected to have uh, so many right. uh, medical marijuana patients. Yeah, I think that, that probably caught them by surprise. I think we're up right around a little over 100,000 right now. Mm-hmm. I expect to see a pretty significant spike in that post 205. Uh, right. I think that, like I said, it, that introduced a lot of people to it. It it did its own little bit of normalization to allow people to at least have the to explore the curiosity about it and even give it a thought. Or yeah. even if they just try CBD first and then they get the benefit from that and realize, okay, this isn't bad. Let's see what happens next. They can then transition to the medical program. I think that card cost is going to be huge. Um, you know, I know that. Well, it it eliminates a, a very large segment of the population that could probably benefit from right. medical use because they can't afford it. Yeah. And then the fact that they can't grow at home, they have to buy in the dispensary and because it's, you know, the demand is high, the the supply is low in the state, you know, the cost is still pretty high. Yeah. And I know that there, you know, and I'll be interested to see actually how the cost and the the, the supply and demand works out. I know that um, in our area, in the the area I live in up in northern Arizona, the Verde Valley, um, there's probably, there's currently around four or five cultivation sites that were that that have all started kind of going in and there was a whole spurt of them that went in in Chino Valley mm-hmm. um and then they're, they're all of a sudden once they started to get a couple more of them um cuz i think a lot of that was just gearing up in case 205 passed mm-hmm. um because i think they saw the writing on the wall now that they've already now that they've geared up and it didn't pass i hope you know i would hope that that might benefit the medical community at least um in that they have that capacity now maybe that'll pass itself on to the medical community um but, you know, I think it was, you know, finally they had pushback in Chino. And I think a couple of the places that were looking at Chino ended up in, in our area. So that wasn't too bad of a deal. Um, in the field I'm in, the civil engineering field, we've actually done a couple jobs where we worked on their site. You know, we do civil engineering. People always wonder what that is. It's like roads, bridges, um, foundations, drainage, water, sewer, utilities. So we've actually, um, because we were, because we knew people in it, there's, it's a real big word of mouth industry, so we've actually done a couple projects for that, and it's been really interesting to see kind of how that's expanding and growing. And I think you know it's it, it, it's at least a light at the end of the tunnel, and hopefully it's not on the front of a train coming from the feds. <laughs> um, but yeah. uh, you know, so I'm hoping that comes out. Um, you know, I just think there's a lot of opportunity there. You know, and the other the other irony that I actually my uh, I was recently in a hospital room with somebody. I'll say. And there was a nurse in there, so we actually had a discussion. I started talking with the nurse about this, and it was it was really informative to get her feedback. You know, they had, she had some valid points. Um, it was just eye opening, but you know, some of that was, um, you know, th- she was just worried about the availability. And there was, you know, I it was fun because I got to straighten her out a few things, and I got to learn a few things myself about their concerns. But um, you know, again, back to that important conversation of just 
exchanging those, learning, you know, that's the thing I've always tried to do as well is learn my opposition's position. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, I had a situation earlier this summer where I actually had to give a police chief I know a ride home from from an event, and we it was a three hour drive, and so we spent that three hour drive discussing 205 legalization and all this stuff and all these all this information. And it was really neat that I could basically tell him a statistic before he actually got it out. You know, he's like, oh, well, I read this report. And I said, yeah, it says 32% this and that. And he, So by the time we pulled up at his house, you would think it would be very adversarial or a negative thing. But he says, I really wish you would have driven slower. I could have used another hour of that. Wow. You know, so, that, yeah. so that's, you know, little things like that. Um, well, and also um, in talking to nurses and doctors daily, which I have been since July with my with my father, um, it's so astonishing to me how little they know about cannabis, how little they know about this sort of miraculous system in our yeah. bodies called the endocannabinoid system. Mm-hmm. And... It, it, as as I've been going through this thing, we've we've made the decision to start putting clinical research up on our website. So um, we've just started adding uh, studies, and and we're we'll be adding more as they come up. But there are thousands of studies underway right now, and especially in the four states where it's legal, because they don't have to worry about you know carrying uh, product for testing or you know getting. Uh, patients to actually participate in these studies since it's legal. And by the way, that really is one of the biggest advantages to making marijuana legal for adult use. The the level of investigation that can be achieved with legalization is far greater than the level that can be achieved if the participants must have their medical marijuana card. You know, and you can't really get any um, yeah. a, neutral another, studies. Another, yeah, so that was another point the nurse brought up. She goes, well, we just don't know enough about it. There haven't been enough studies. I said, well, you know there haven't been enough studies because it's still illegal and it's it's, yeah. it's incorrectly scheduled. And she's, oh, no, there, no, no, that can't be. I'm like, well, no, that's that's, that's really actually the, way the fact. It is. I mean, <laughs> is it, so you, you don't want to pursue because there's no studies. Well, it's the, the vicious circle is they can't get a study because you don't want to pursue. So, yeah. you know, and, and I have to give a big shout out on that one to Dr. Sue Sisley. Oh, she's, you, oh she's incredible. I, I, I had the fortune to, she actually attended a, um, a leadership academy with our mayor. So our mayor in, in the city of Cottonwood actually introduced me to her at a cities and towns conference. And that was just, she's an amazing person. Yeah. I just have to say that. And the work she's doing, I think is just going to, I think it's going to be groundbreaking. Um, and I yeah, followed for people who don't know, she's yeah. actually working on a PTSD study right now. Yeah, triple with blind veterans. efficacy yep. PTSD study. Yeah. And there's a lot of it, it's funny you mentioned that money that's in the account, the medical card account. Right. There's I mean, there's a great little backstory that took place there where there was a whole group of prohibitionists. Um, Kimberly Yee, I think, was one of the, the representatives that was involved in that. They were actually eyeballing that money. They were trying to get some legislation passed that would have given them all that money to use. To fight, to fight, you know, basically for basically to fund their prohibition, um, you know, so they wouldn't have really, you know, they would have said it was for educational purposes, air quotes intended, um, but they would have basically <laughs> just been funding their prohibition, yeah. um, and it was what was the the real cruel part of that is that Dr. Sisley was trying to get just a small portion of that money to fund her research, right. 
which is actual medical, clinical, federally approved research, and they just wouldn't even hear of it. So it's interesting that they would, they're all over the money if they could spread their message, but they weren't all over it if it would actually have gone to help people or actually provide that study that they say they're looking for that they can't approve it because they don't have of. Yeah. So it's, I think that's know, called special interest, isn't it? Yes. Well, that seems to be permeating our political environment at the moment. Yeah, and the climate doesn't, it's not likely to change anytime soon, so. Probably not. Yeah. <laughs> Money speaks. <laughs> it actually does, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, I think I think that the uh, on the local level, no matter what state you're in, to fight the stigma on a local level, and even, you know, we have listeners in California and Nevada and throughout Arizona as well, um, aside from just here locally, and even talking to people in in this in California and Nevada that had these big wins recently there's still going to be somewhat of an uphill battle to um bring the level of acceptance to a point where if they wanted to find a group home for their parents for example that would be willing to um a- allow a nurse or or a caretaker to administer hemp drops right <laughs> i mean i it, it's and nearly impossible to to find that as long as there's that federal block. Yeah, it's and it's and it's, it's what's really so amazing. It, even just with the CBD only applications, there's still some hesitancy. Yeah. On that. Although I do see that changing quickly. There's actually somebody flashing advertisements on our Facebook up in Cottonwood. Like, We're having a huge CBD. You know, there's actually stores that are now advertising that. Right. So I think that's a good small step. Well, technically, it's it, it comes from the hemp plant yeah. most. CBD extracts come from the hemp plant, and you can buy hemp seeds in Trader Joe's. So, yeah. <laughs> it, it, you know, it's it's legal to have hemp uh, clothing. Right. It's legal to have you know hemp sales for your yeah. boat. And that was, I mean, another thing, additional point of 205 that I don't think was actually um, pointed publicized. to or published, publicized right. enough was that it would have allowed made. Hemp, hemp cultivation legal. Yeah. So we could, you know, I know that's been. And a huge, what better industry yeah. to just energize the economy here right. in Arizona? I know Kentucky's gone there and they've had a, a great success. They're they're going crazy with it right now. It's so. amazing, and I I've often believed that that hemp cultivation is one of the keys to a carbon neutral future, and and I think that if there's any substance at all on Earth that could help stem climate change, it's hemp. Yeah. Because just about everything made out of um, out of fossil fuels can be made using hemp, yep. including plastic, auto fuel, oils, food substances, you know, um, all the way to medicines and, and, everything. and, and it, emollients. And it, it just makes you want to kind of slap your head and say that I could have had a V8 type thing. Yeah. You know, there's so many obvious possibilities there and it's just uh, unfortunate that it's fallen into the situation it has but this conversation we're having today might spur somebody to look into it so that's what we well just keep you know what it. i i love doing this because um if if one person become who's been opposed or skeptical about cannabis as a viable product that should be legalized um if if one conversation will change one person's mind, then we have succeeded because it's possible that if they actually learn the truth, that they might 
tell their friends. And that's how the movement grows. One person at a time, one word at a time, one show at a time. Yeah, really it is. You know, one, one city council at a time. Yeah. And that's, and that was, you know, I, there were some proud moments on there, but it was it it was not a cakewalk in the least. Yeah. Um. It's never 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 easy, but it's uh, they say nothing worth doing ever really is. So, yeah. You know, it's uh, like I said, it, you put yourself out there, you're going to catch some slings and arrows, but uh, you know, I'm, if you care about the future for your family and your you know and for for the for your people and for your areas and your communities, you can brush the slings and arrows off eventually. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, and and I think high level conversations, you know, with with legitimate backup <laughs> can help. Obviously, I mean, you that know, was, that was the hard part. That first that first initiative that came through, I was the only person in that room that was had that that was there. I mean, yeah, uh, I, I was I had tried to reach out to people, but it was such short notice. Nobody could come. But I actually knew somebody in the audience. This was the, the this was interesting. I knew a guy in the audience, and he was sitting there, and he. Like I saw him like checking his his BlackBerry or his, his cell phone, and uh, I was like, afterwards I said, "What was going on there?" He said, "Well, these guys I know were at home uh, drinking some beer and smoking a doobie, watching this on TV because they have a simulcast." Right. I'm like, "Well, yeah, great that they could text you and and you know, but they needed to be here." Yeah. You know, so that was the you know, and I I don't slight people with that because you know. Stepping out from under that stigma is a huge thing. It, you well, know, and also the fear of being arrested. Yes. If you talk about it to the wrong person, they might send somebody over to your house and shoot your dog and, yeah. you know, scare your children in the middle of the night. Right. And that's, yeah, that's no way to live, really. It, is it? it really isn't. I mean, I, and a couple weeks ago, I'll just, you know, I know we're probably getting close. Um, I just, I would point out that like a few weeks ago, my wife and I got together with some friends and we had just a beautiful moment. You know, of all of us being together, and and it was so difficult because that beautiful moment couldn't exist in a you know we had to go away from everything and be in a remote area, and not around anybody, to have that momentary feeling of a safe space, of actually being able to relax with with your friends and just share a moment, and you know it was really uh, it was really positive for us, but also really difficult because then like the next day you go back to the real world and you're like okay. No more safe spaces. You know, you got to work right. around that. So it's just, you know, if and the the main one of the things I've come up against is somebody actually replied to one of my letters to the editor, and they just some folks just do not see the how somebody who uses cannabis isn't just doing it to get stoned. Um, they like they're like, well, I enjoy a glass of wine because it tastes good. You guys can't possibly be doing that with marijuana. I'm like, well, do you understand that wine consists that wine's characteristics are made up of terpenes? And this and certain things, Flavors. and it's characteristic, and, it, and that's the exact same thing with cannabis. Yeah. It's all the same. Yeah. Well, I I um, really appreciate your good work out there, and, you know, congratulations on the successes that you have had. And, and um, I really look forward to continuing this conversation with you, and, you know, perhaps we can brainstorm further and sure. figure out how we can uh, help to get the word out and help normalize the conversation and... Um, perhaps work toward the next election cycle with, with another uh, measure that might be more palatable to people. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, Jesse Dowling, thank you so, so much for joining me today. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, and um, thank you to Josh, our engineer here at KFNX. And many thanks to all of our listeners. If you're curious about today's topic, want to learn more about Jesse Dowling or 
learn more about some of the research, please visit us online at thecannabisreporter.com. And, you know, now that the election is over, start making some phone calls if you really believe in this movement. I wish you all a great day and stay safe and stay informed. Snowden Bishop over and out. <laughs>